Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into it. First of all, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much for your support of Longhorn Blitz. A couple of different ways you can get the podcast, but the easiest way is to wherever you get your podcasts, search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button on the Horns 24-7 podcast feed to get every episode of the Blitz when it drops. And if you'd be so kind, please... If you'd find it in your heart, leave us a five-star review and comment on why you like the Blitz so much. It would help us out greatly on that front. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I'm ready to get this this show on the road, and to do that, we bring in the third member of our team. He wears many hats. You can find him on the On Texas football youtube channel you can find him uh co-hosting the morning show on the horn from 6 to 11 a.m with aaron hogan among the other things he's got going on but for the purposes of this podcast he is our lockdown corner here on longhorn blitz lifetime longhorn 2002 ut all-american 2002 semifinalist for the jim thorpe award fourth round draft choice of the new york giants back in 2003 spent his nfl career with the giants lions bears bucks broncos and a year with the hamilton tiger cats of the cfl when he was done with football he got himself back to austin texas and the 40 acres where he earned his degree whenever that t-ring comes back in we will make sure he wears it proudly nevertheless he is a card carrying member of dbu and when you get that all-american honor recognized by the ncaa they make sure you get one of those black cards number 21 in your program number one in your hearts mr rod babers Thank you for the intro, brother. I appreciate that, as always. Still, still, a lot of guys have tried. None of them have been up to the task. Still the greatest number 21 in the history of Texas Longhorn football. It's going to last a while. Guys keep changing their numbers, so they never stick with the number long enough anyway to you know, be the greatest at that number. So it's going to yeah. last a while, man. I'm going to soak it up while I can. Yeah, and, and enjoy the ride, Rod. You, uh, you, you've, you've been you, – you've got a – a nice twenty-year cushion on, uh, on. I mean, yeah. other than guys that have had their numbers retired, you you've got a pretty lengthy, uh, a lengthy stay at the top spot. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess the number twenty-one ain't as cool as it used to be, though. I guess it used to be coveted. Now it's not as coveted as it used to be. Well, that's because you're a, you're a child of the '80s and '90s, and Deion Sanders was your guy. So, Amen, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ladainian, wasn't Ladainian Thomason twenty-one too? Yes, he was. Ladainian Thomason yeah. was. was some good ones back there. Yeah, you're right. That's no. What's the great? What's the best twenty-one right now? Uh, in the, in the NFL. It's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that, I mean, in terms of the iconic twenty-ones right now, yeah, in the league, I don't. I mean, I can't think of it. I'm sure there's some great ones, but I can't think of on top of my head. I mean. Zeke Elliott was 21, but oh, yeah, you're right. Long Zeke. past his prime. Yeah, Zeke was doing his thing. Yeah. He's yeah. not one of those, it's not a prime number anymore. It's not one of the premium numbers anymore. No, I know you know what changed that rod in the league where now you can wear single digit numbers? Yeah, that's what did it. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Every, everybody wants the single digits. Everybody looks cool. Like you said, the single digits are slimming. Yeah, they make you look. Yeah, they are. They even. Yeah, they, even when a big man wears a single digit, it makes them look slimmer too. Even though they're big guys. You remember learn Larry Dibbles wore one rod your senior year. Yeah, you got to be a dog. You got to be a beast though. If you want to be a single digit big man. I don't. I don't know if you can like look slimmer. What was Larry Dibbles? Probably like three hundred plus. Like oh, I don't know easy. how for sure how, <laughs> how slim you can look, but I I guess it helped a little bit. Maybe I don't know. But <laughs> at any rate. Uh, enough about Larry Dibbles looking slim and number one. 
Uh, let's go ahead and talk Texas football. And, guys, we're at the point now where the talent acquisition cycle, uh, at least through the winter portal window. And you know what? As we sit here and record this, uh, it sounds like things might be progressing with Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers. And if it gets to the point where Jim Harbaugh takes the Chargers job, uh, you're going to have a 30-day portal window open for everybody on that Michigan roster. So we could get another wave of portal guys, but it seems like for Texas, everything has settled down. And as we've digested all the portal takes, including today, this morning, uh, it was expected and it finally signed, sealed, and delivered. Tio Ali'i Salvea, the defensive tackle, defensive lineman from Arizona because he played some interior line, some edge, uh, he has signed with Texas, so he is uh, good to go. Man, Texas needed a portal defensive tackle. They needed just somebody with some experience uh, in that room. Of all the moves, Rod, I guess I'll start with you. What what one, two moves, is what strikes you as, man, I'm really glad that happened because this football team is better for it? Um, yeah, that's good. Um just when you start looking at the guys they brought in and, you know, right now it's either going to be, it's either going to be one of the wide receivers. And right now I'd take bond. If I'm looking at the wide receivers, that could be most impactful or mm-hmm. it's going to be honestly Trey Moore. I yeah. know it's a little underrated, but it Texas hadn't had a real, had a, had a legitimate pass rusher, a guy with kind of a, a natural pass rusher. I don't think since Sark's been here. I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm not saying the no. guys on Ed's have been bad at all, but he's a natural pass rusher. Like, he just... There, there are a few things that you can't develop or coach. You have to recruit him, and I think pass rushing traits are one of those things. He's a natural pass rusher. If he's... You know, if he can replicate anything close to what he was doing at UTSA with Texas, um, man, that's a game changer. Because they hadn't had a guy like that. That was part of the reason you lost the Super Bowl to Washington your pressures, you can convert those pressures into splash plays, into tackles for loss, uh, sacks, negative plays. If he can do that, Texas hadn't had a guy like that before. Yeah. Um, and then with the wide receiving core, I mean, you lost 80% of your receiving production. So, I mean, hell, whoever can I- end up, you know, supplementing or at least being able to come in and uh, give you compensate for those losses that you're going to have in the receiving game, I think he's most likely to be, a number one guy for you or him or Jante Cook, but in the transfer portal, I'll go with Isaiah Bond as that guy. Yeah, to your point yeah, real no. quick about uh talking about the edge guys, uh Joseph Osai was probably the last one Texas. Yep. That was that was You're right. Zark. Yep. Yep. And no. more that's the type of guy that if you can get that impact at that position, it may be the most because we know Sark's able, and you don't want to say manufacture yardage through the past game, but scheme, you can elevate players in addition to it. So uh, I did look into the numbers, though, on all the different receivers, and I really liked, I mean, all these dudes fit the same profile. It's very similar to, like, say, Worthy being really good against zone. And when you think about these yak type offenses if we're talking at the NFL level with guys like Shanahan or we're talking about Sark you know those teams it's why Debo Samuel so good against zone you get them into the open areas and then let your playmakers do the work and when you look at what Texas lost last year in regards to routes and how they'll be replacing it you had the one 
for one replacement's already here with A.D. Mitchell was out wide 82%. Well, that's Jonte Cook. He ran 82.2% of his routes out wide last year. But then in the slot, losing Whittington, who was 82% slot snaps, Worthy was 40%. So you're talking of like 120 when you combine those two. It's a lot of slot snaps. And Bond, he ran his routes 59% out of the slot, 41 out wide. He was a guy with a 12.8 A dot and then a 4.6 yak, but maybe not in necessarily that yak type of offense. Because with guys like Worthy and Sanders, they were at 7.6 Worthy, 7.7 for uh, Jatavian after the catch. A guy like Whittington was down at 5.7. You know, AD Mitchell's that one deep A dot guy that you lost at 16 per, but these receivers that Texas brought in. You've got guys across the board that could really fill in those holes. And, I mean, I, I think Bond for sure is the top one. That's the one that everybody would want to land. But even looking at Silas Bolden, he was so impressive. You know, his ADOT and Yak were actually – his Yak was 5.1. His ADOT's 12.2. Bond's ADOT was 12.8. And then a guy like Golden, like if you go and look at the different routes – and against zone and man, Bolden was 2.79 against zone, a 77% completion percentage against man, just 137 per route with a 34% completion percentage with DJU. Isaiah Bond was 221 versus zone, 128 versus man. It was a 71% completion percentage against zone, 46 versus man. And then the same with Golden, 2.18 against zone, point. 9.3 against man. He was 12.6 per reception against zone. It was 6.9 against man and also 71% completion percentage to 56. So, you know, these guys fit perfectly into what Sark does get the ball into playmakers' hands, scheme them open, and let them continue to finish the plays. Ron, does it concern you? Uh, and it's not a concern for me per se. It's just something that more of an observation. But does it concern you that Texas doesn't have AD Mitchell was kind of this guy, and, and it was more so Jatavian Sanders last year, that kind of six three plus guy that can body up a defensive back, climb the ladder, and make contested catches. Um, they don't really have that guy. I think Ryan Wingo, that might be his role as a true freshman. Um, it's just it, it, they're, it's just they're it's they're making I guess for lack of a better term they're just the the sausage and the end product probably is going to look the same they're just going to make it a different way uh, does that concern you at all or does that even register with you that they don't maybe have that that one kind of big body thicker bodied receiver I mean I don't know if those guys at Bama were that either when he had his four first rounders. None. He, none of them were. Oh, yeah, they were all kind of were, right. demons, smallish, smaller guys. They weren't big body receivers. So I don't know if Sark needs it in his system. His system, no, no, no Herman's system. He needed big bodies, right? He, yeah, he had little Jordan. Yeah, he had to have a receiver that could win 50-50 balls. Now it does help. And I will say the receivers that he's getting in his recruiting class, they are bigger. You talk yeah. about Ryan Wingo, I mean, Parker Livingston. Those guys are bigger usually than the – you know, Sark has a type. Always, if you look back at all of my X's, you know, I got a type. If you probably could track it and <laughs> see the pattern, um, right. Sark has a pattern too with the type of receivers that he likes, and he likes smaller, slight, 
ish speed demons at receiver guys who are as quick as they are fast he'll take a smaller receiver who is fast and quick rather than a bigger receiver a possession guy who doesn't have that kind of speed ad mitchell is actually more the exception in mm-hmm. Sark's style of receiver so i don't necessarily think that's a big deal with sark actually you could argue that that ad was more the exception for him but it was a perfect fit because they, because what they had with JT Sanders, matter of fact, JT Sanders kind of represented one of those guys too, right? The way they use him, he's kind of yep. a big body receiver. They tried to run fades with JT Sanders at times uh, in the red zone, so they don't really have that either. Maybe they'll supplement that with the tight end, but because of the way the offense was constructed, uh, you just need a guy that can win one on ones, and AD Mitchell could do that. But I, yeah. I don't think this, like you said, it'll be a different vibe. There's a different energy. There'll different be a different brand of passing game with this group than it was last year. Yeah. Yep. And if you look at last year, you know, AD, his contested catch, his percentage was at 36. So he was four out of 11. But if you look at 86 targets, he had 11 contested throw scenarios. So one for eight, and he caught four of those 11. It's a much smaller sample, but Jonte Cook was one for three, which is right on par with the same percentage with AD. Now he actually had 12, only 12 targets and three of them had to be contested throws. And he, was 33% on him, so it's a higher proportion of his targets were actually contested ones. So since, you know, we're talking about plugging them in one for one, just when you look at where they line up on the field, you know, Cook, I already mentioned, at 82% and AD at 82%. So it's sort of like you could sort of put him in there, and with his athleticism, maybe he is a good contested catch guy, even though he's much smaller than your average one. Yeah, I, I like the yep. way it shakes out a receiver because you you got Freddie Dubose and Aaron Butler. They profile, like you said, Rod, those two guys profile more like the guys that uh, Sark has, has taken in the past, you know, kind of slighter, leaner guys, uh, but speed guys. Like Freddie Dubose was the track guy uh, and is, is still getting healthy from the knee injury. And Aaron Butler, uh, Aaron Butler can fly out of the state of California. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it just so happens Ryan Wingo brings speed and, and a lot of other tools to the table. It just so happens he's six one and a half, two ten. So it's like if you get the same skills, it just comes in a different package. And to an extent, Parker Livingstone's kind of the same way. But you know, with Debose and Butler in particular, when you've got you know Silas Bolden and uh, and Isaiah Bond coming in, you know, you can see a situation where you know Butler and Debose kind of hang back, and then after those guys are gone after a year, and then now maybe they're ready to step into those roles. So I, I just kind of like the way Sark is. It, the the way he's stacking bodies, the way he and Chris Jackson are stacking bodies at, at receiver right now. Yeah, definitely there's an emphasis on being, I mean, you're going to lose Xavier Worthy, who was clocked by real analytics as the fastest ball carrier in college football last year. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose Keelan mm-hmm. Robinson, who was also one of the fastest running backs in college football last year. And there's a chance you could be a faster offense this season than you were overall last season, which is mind-blowing to me. That says there's an intentional, deliberate emphasis on speed. They want to be faster. Now, it's not all track time. Some of these guys are legitimate track speed guys. You're talking about, you know, Brian Wingo. I mean, he's got legitimate track speed. Um, You know, Isaiah Bonds, one of those guys, legitimate track speed. But even, you know, the guys like, you know, Silas Bolden, you brought up Aaron Butler and, you know, Jante Cooks of the world. I think also another guy, Ryan Nibble, is a legitimate track speed guy. Yeah. But you look at the way the wide receiver room is shaping up now with Matthew Golden, um, you know, Jonte Cook. Those guys may not have the track speed, but they're explosive, dynamic playmakers yeah. in the open field. And what, also something else that showed me that Sarks, he's emphasizing speed. 
was the, the tight end uh, transfer portal acquisition, Amari Nyblack. Yeah, Nyblack. Now, he had a chance to go, because uh, I, I know that at one point they were interested in that, that, that uh, Stanford tight end. Mm-hmm. And one of the themes for Sark in a portal has been uh, proving commodities, right? Proving commodities in the transfer portal. And, you know, he didn't really go for the proving commodity. The, the kid from Stanford was more of a proving commodity overall. Mm-hmm. He had more skins on the wall. They seem to zero in once Night Black hit the portal, zero in on him, who's more of a pass catching tight end down the field. As we know that, you go look at it. I'm sure Matt has the stats on this. Oh, go yeah, I do. Night Black's A dot. Man, his A dot is 16 6. Yeah, dude, this dude is damn near 17 yards uh, average depth of target down the field. Dude, that is like, that's way more than any other tight end in the country. Uh, yeah. You know I mean, JT Sanders is, I think, close to 10 yards. That's unbelievable. That shows me that Sark's trying to stretch the field. He's trying to blitz opposing teams with speed. My theory, as a football theorist, is we know Sark has admitted he steals, he steals plays, right? So he's watching best offenses in in football, college, and the NFL. He's an NFL guy, so he watched the NFL. He's admitted also his obsession with the, the McShanahan coaching franchises. So he pays mm-hmm. attention to the mm-hmm. coaching tree of the Shanahans, and he followed that Shanahan coaching tree in Atlanta. Now, this season, the probably the, the most prominent of those, or at least one of the most prominent of the McShanahan uh, coaches was Mike McDaniel, and he was doing some very cutting-edge things. So I know he's paying attention to the McShanahan franchise coaches when they have these uh, very, I would say, progressive, modernized concepts they're using. And Mike McDaniel was throwing out a ton of really cool concepts this season with the Miami Dolphins. One of them was that cheat or cheetah motion that everybody's using right now. Uh, that where they we've seen Sark use it right where you go horizontal to the line of scrimmage and get you a running start, and then once the ball is snapped, then you go up. It's their version of the, the Canadian Football League's motion where the guy can run toward the line of scrimmage with a full speed sprint. Trust me, as a guy who had to defend that, this this is really tough to, to defend a guy with a running start. And that's essentially what Mike McDaniel and one of his concepts he pioneered. Sark started using that midway through the season. I started noticing JT doing it, AD Mitchell doing it. Uh, he started, you know, using these guys to get them kind of a Xavier Worthy, getting them a running start, just like that cheetah motion. My theory is that he definitely was watching Mike McDaniel because he watches all those coaches, got it from them. If that is the case, what was Mike McDaniel's emphasis with his offense? Speed, speed. Speed, speed, speed. And Mike McDaniel's RPO usage was through the roof because he was trying to get the ball out of uh, uh, Tua's hands quickly to, as, a, as a way to insulate him in pass protection because Tua, when he got hit, hit the ground, that's where the injuries were popping up, right? Yeah. So what's offense, what Sark's offense is based on what? An RPO-based passing game. Sark even says that we're an RPO-based passing game. Their best passes are usually RPO-based, right? So that's that could be one of the links. Also, it's a West Coast passing game. One of the links. And I also know that Mike McDaniels uses a lot of two-back sets, two-tailback sets, pony package. Also uses 21 personnel, just like Shano did uh, when he – well, Shano still does. But when he was with the Falcons and Sark had to follow up with those two-tailback sets. So my theory is that he's been watching some Mike McDaniel and he wants to use a lot of those concepts that he's using and he needs more speed to do it, to blitz your opponents with speed. Jaden Blue is in the backfield – Fastest running back tracked in the country as a ball carrier last season by Real Analytics. You know, look at the backfield of of uh, Mike McDaniel, right? Raheem Mostert, uh, Devin A. Chain, and he's using those guys in a lot of explosive ways. So I think that's what he's got on his brain. He's always been obsessed with speed. Now I think he's doubling down on it, and I think a lot of it is based on him just kind of grabbing, siphoning concepts from the latest of the Mech Shanahan tree. That's just my theory. No, and you're spot on with uh, pointing out Nye Black and his skill set and how far 
away from the rest of the field he is. Of all the receivers in the country, all the tight ends, you had one other guy that was over 13.1, and that was Grayson Barnes of Northern Illinois at 13.9. Then Nye Black at 16.6 is his ADOT, and that's out of all D1 tight ends that had at least 20 targets. And when we were going over the numbers uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, and it was like, you know, looking at Texas, the one deep threat being A.D. Mitchell was at 16 even. So we're talking about a tight end that's even more vertical than that. And if you look at specifically on his deep targets, so of ones that were targeted more than 20 yards downfield, Nye Black, he had a 29.5 ADOT and three of his touchdowns on that one. And Texas fans remember him because it was like he got almost half of his yak yards and for the entire season, literally on that touchdown Texas when he was able to break some tackles crossing over the middle of the field. So he's a guy that could be really well-rounded. I just think that he was used because of Mill Rose ability to throw the deep ball so well there at Alabama, his yak, is probably a little bit lower just because he was used so much as a deep threat. And he could be a guy that at Texas could really explode because you can keep that depth of target and then just get other yak situations schemed into him. So he could be even more productive and that might be just as, or more impactful because you didn't want to have your uh, home. It ended up having helm was like, I think in line 78% of the time Sanders was at 64. So you're talking about vacating a role that you'd have to bring somebody else in if you wanted to run 12 personnel or make Helm play having a heightened role. And those are things that can add volatility to your offense. Now, if you go one for one, Nye Black was in the slot 40% of the time. JT was just over 20. So we're talking about a guy that's really comfortable on the outside. And he's 6'4", 233. He's 10 pounds less than JT. But, I mean, when you look at them on the field, they look like they could almost be a one-for-one comparison. I, what you're seeing is now this isn't to say that if Texas recruited an elite five tool tight end, which Rod Jatavian Sanders is always going to be one of my favorite longhorns just because you and I for a decade were hollering and screaming about needing a five tool tight end. And it was almost like, I just couldn't believe it that Texas finally found one. Uh, one that I initially wanted to play defense until I saw him in person. I'm like, no, do you want, I want those hands and that, that <laughs> speed, that functional athleticism on offense. Well, and uh, Nyblack is that contested catch guy the way JT was. JT, I think, right. had like was seven of 13. Nyblack was three of four, so he can fill that role too. Yeah, what what I think you're seeing is not that they wouldn't recruit a five-tool guy because they would, but I think this is what you're seeing. This is the model that – and this one's probably easier to recruit to because we talk about the difficulty of finding five-tool tight ends – where you want to have an inline guy, which this year, you know, Gunnar Helm and a lot of your guys are going to be inline guys. Nye Black is going to be your move guy. And yep. he and, and Jordan Washington as a freshman and Juan Davis, uh, they'll be the move guy. So as much 12 personnel as they run, it just worked out that you had a guy, Jatavian Sanders, who could really do both play in line, uh, play in the slot, wherever. Now I think you're just seeing those tight end roles being a little more specialized than they were in Sark's first three years. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I I think well, the truth is you just can't find JT Sanders. Right, like right. You know, sorry. Yeah. I I he I I believe that JT Sanders was the most physically gifted tight end athletically that Sark's ever had. And when Sark has that, he he basically uses those athletes as a muse. They 
they become inspirations, right? Uh, the spark creativity for him. How do I weaponize these guys? So he came up with a lot of creative ways to weaponize his tight ends. You go look at it, man, the, the screen game, the tight end mm-hmm. screens, the tight end yep. screens in Texas were probably averaging you know over 12 yards per play for tight end screens alone. <laughs> you yeah. gotta go look back at my notes, but they had an explosive play rate that was really, uh, really high, higher than any of the other uh, really, I would say some of the other screens they use, but that was something I think that Sark really got deep into because of JT Sanders and his ability to be a yak guy. Um, you know, his ability to threaten teams once he had the ball in his hands, because that's, that's one of the underrated parts of his game. He's really hard to bring down. <laughs> um, especially those throwback screens too. So I, I think that Sark want, doesn't want that part of his, uh, his offense to go away. And even though Gunnar Helm is much improved and very capable and a competent tight end, he doesn't, he's not a guy that's going to add an explosive element to your offense, right? He's going to get the job done, but not add that explosive element. Sark wants to keep that explosive element, but also he wants to still be able to, you brought this up, Jeff, hunt matchups. He mm-hmm. wants to be able to hunt matchups, right? That's why he moves JT Sanders around. It may not be on that particular down that he's going to uh, target JT, but based on the formation, based on the coverage, and based on how the defense is playing JT, he'll know how to set up to scheme him open on another down, and he, that's why he moves him around so much. JT Sanders just moves around as much as any tight end in the country, probably as much as most uh, skilled players in the country. And most of that was hunting matchups, but also a guy that he be, he believed was as close to a 5 tool tight end as you can get. He didn't stay at Texas long enough to for that to come to fruition. But in the NFL, he probably will. Yeah, and I love seeing at times when JT, especially before he hurt his ankle against Kansas, but like when he would be that guy coming in motion and it's just so he can blow up a DB on a different pass play or a screen play because he was such a good blocker. But if you look at the the screen numbers, Rod, according to PFF, with Helm and Jatavian on their screens, it was right at that nine yards per play mm-hmm. when you combine the two within 100% completion percentage. So you never had one go bad and you got nine a pop. So that couldn't be more ideal. And uh, just because we I was still looking at some of the other transfer numbers, another contested catch guy, Jeff, that he's only he's tiny. He's like 5'8", but he, Silas Bolden was 7 of 14 last year. So wow. maybe that guy just – some people have an innate ability to track a ball, see it, and high point it, you know. And if you're really mm-hmm. small, maybe you don't get those opportunities as much, but you also get maybe not respected as much, and it seems like he can hop up and grab them. Look, man, if this leads to the red zone fade, goal line <laughs> no fade, more. getting out of Sark's playbook, then I'm all for it, man. Yes. Y'all know there, there are very few things in football that piss me off as much as as the fade being run in the red zone. I just – I wish it would be fired into the sun, but such is life. Um, So, Rod and Matt, I need you guys to help me frame this because everything we're talking about – you can really make the argument based on what we just said that Sark really is ahead of schedule. And we really still Rod, to your point about speed. I mean, we haven't seen maybe the best version of Sark's offense yet because the, the guys I think about this group of receivers and Trey Moore, I think with this program period, I think you're seeing more of the receivers that Sark covets. Like you said, Rod doubling down on speed. He loves speed. And I think with Trey Moore and, and bringing in Colin Simmons, I think that buck position on defense is going to be more of the true 
hybrid skill set dynamic pass rusher that PK had at that other edge spot at Washington. So I think for a lot of reasons, man, I think you're just going to see the 2024 roster of the four that Sark will have had at this point. That's going to be the truest roster in terms of how this staff would build a roster pretty much from the ground up. They made really good use of the parts they inherited from Tom Herman, but this is going to be the first roster where this isn't so much guys that they had to get to buy into something or guys that they inherited or didn't play much for the previous staff. This is going to be almost all guys that they exclusively recruited. So I think in its truest form, this will be the truest roster to who Sark and this staff are that we've seen through the first four years. Totally agree. I think mostly they're done with the guys they inherited. So I, uh, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. I think this is, you know, even Sark said last year, like that was the team that was most constructed in his image. But I, I think now they have put the pieces in place for their philosophy mm-hmm. um, and whatever they believe the vision uh, for the, that brand of football is going to be. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, like it, it fits perfectly, and, and it aligns like now in the transfer portal era, he gets a chance to get it done even quicker than expected. And uh, I pulled the rest of Silas Bolden's career 10 of 19 on contested catches, so it even tracks back yeah. to the year before. The other thing I like about the receiver group, too, all those guys can help you in the return game, and don't lose sight of the fact that that's where honestly that might be the part of the game where you definitely where you're going to miss Keelan Robinson the most is on kickoff returns. Uh, that might be where you miss Xavier worthy the most, because it's been a minute at Texas since you had a punt returner. You can count on that could flip, not only flip the field, but could, could change a game. And, you know, golden's got experience in the return game. Bolden's got experience in the return game. Isaiah bond didn't do it that much at, at Bama, but he's, he's capable uh, you know, Jonte Cook can be one of those guys. So I'm I'm just excited about it. And then you've still got some guys in that in that running back group that can do it too. So uh don't lose sight of, of what this staff is doing on special teams. But you know, I, I like the fact Rod, I was thinking about this. I, I think this is probably the 2024 Texas roster, which considering the guys they've added out through the portal, the high school recruits they've had. I really think this is the most talented roster probably just in terms of now people are going to interpret this, how I'm going to say what I'm going to say, how they want. And I'm probably going to misspeak, but take this ride with me real quick. I think Rod, it's the, it's the roster that's got the most talent, just pure talent stacked on it since the one you played on in 2002. Because if you look at that roster top to bottom, the guys that were seniors in that in that on that year, you know, yourself and Corey Redding and Chris Sims, all the way down to the Vince Youngs and the Justin Blaylocks and the guys that redshirted that year. I think when you just look at that roster of scholarship players, that roster probably had more talent on it, maybe than any Texas roster in my lifetime. Oh, I got you. You're talking about because the young bucks, they yeah. were still on the rock, technically still on the right. You're talking about just looking at the roster talent period yeah that's a good take actually that's a that's a pretty good take i never thought yeah. about that i never yeah. thought about that because those <laughs> university of miami teams were crazy like that too yeah because I, I just you know like go go through i mean with you know you talk about the quarterback room i mean that quarterback room you had two quarterbacks that were top 100 picks in the draft you know vy obviously going in the first round 
I mean, look at all, could, all, all yeah. the group, group of offensive linemen that, that well, went in the Could you the, the say draft. the same thing about the old – could you say the same thing? Yeah, that's a good point, though, because you – that old 5 team, didn't you have those that, that old 5 recruiting class? Yeah. You did, but the O two 2 recruiting class was bar none number one in the country, and it was deep. It was like 28 or 30 players instead yeah. of like oh, 15 was – I think in there was like 15 or 16 guys in that 05 class because Max That's had stacked out, but it's a good point on both of them. Just when you stack that first wave, that when you still had the BJ in his class with Roy, and then you end up having the said B class and then still have you and Vince or you and Sims there. And then you bring in that O2 class. That's some depth. Yeah. I thought about this the other day, you know, through 22, 23 and 24, they're all going to be probably top five classes. Even though the last couple, when we rank them at 24 seven, we include the portal guys because that's part of talent acquisition now. You know, your, your your model has to change with the times. But, you know, though you look at the fourth cycle, I mean, Charlie Charlie Strong didn't get a fourth cycle. And yeah. Tom Herman's was that 2021 class that ended up being a transition class. I mean, if Sark puts together uh, another class, you got to remember, like, like, think about Mac Brown. Like, Mac Brown's fourth full recruiting cycle on the job was was that uh, – he had nine. He had ninety nine. He had two thousand. He had 01. Mac Brown's fourth full cycle on the job was that O two class. Yeah, was the, was the Vince Young class. Which again, like you said, Matt, that we talked about that group as the gold standard. So I, I just, yeah, I, I don't know where you stood on that rod. I don't even know if you've thought about it from that standpoint. But I was like, man, if you just look at a roster and just look at how many future NFL guys were on that roster. I mean, you had a first-round receiver in Roy Williams. You had, uh, you know, Michael Huff was a Thorpe Award winner, first-round, uh, first-round talent in in the secondary. Uh, you had Derek Johnson was on that O two team. I mean, that thing was about as stacked as you can get. David Thomas was a freshman on that team, so you had two NFL tight ends. Said B. That's yeah, a good point. Dedrick Benson. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's been a long time since we've seen Texas legitimately stack this much elite talent on campus and you know as the portal additions come through man it's scary to think that you know when you see texas in a in a preseason you know top five well a way too early preseason pull texas to be a top five team that can go into the sec and compete in year one man with with returning a quarterback four starters on the offensive line and the way they reloaded through the portal yeah i i can i can 100 percent believe the Texas can go into the SEC and compete in year one. I mean, yeah, I mean, especially when you look at all the – it's a lot of turnover happening in college football, especially yeah. with the powers. You know, Texas is going to bring back you know, all their coordinators at, at consistent mm-hmm. continuity. Uh, so, yes. Sark gets credit for that. They'll bring back the quarterback. You know, and you said four of the five starters on the O-line. I mean, that's – that's that's where it counts. That's bringing back experience where it where it counts the most. Yeah. And everywhere else, you may have that experience, but you're as you just pointed out, you've been stacking classes of talent. So those guys are just unproven commodities. But if this coaching staff can develop, which they've proven they can do in the last two years, that honestly, that's just that's upside that has yet to be reached. Those guys are gonna you know produce next year. You just don't know at what rate. So yeah, yeah, man, if you. Right, I'm I'm with you. I don't see, I don't see how Texas is not in the top three to five to start the season. 
For sure. And you said the main word there, Rod, or one of the main words that we've been talking about for a decade is like, man, could Texas have any continuity? Because like Jeff just pointed out, the lack of uh, seeing a class through like every coach before you got to their senior last class, you weren't able to even see them graduate through. And then you had the staff changes within each coaching change all the way back to Matt's reinvention. So like we had hit so many restart buttons, so many players had so many different coordinators or position coaches, you know, like it's why last year when we were like, man, Texas may finally have a line with some continuity this year. And you saw how much better they were, but to have that across the board and have no worrying about scheme, like when you can really get deep into the scheme and not only say, learn it or be confident in it, but then begin to know and live every detail of it, stuff like that. It's so valuable whenever you're talking about having to be the one that beats out the best teams in the country. It's those margins that they add up and you want to literally be the best sum of of your parts and that's something Texas could get to and Jeff you pointed out the lack of say maybe returnment for the horns and uh, pulled some of the numbers from the transfers and you know Silas Bolden again he's a really really good punt returner he ended up having it looked like three for 101 in a 65 yard touchdown last year he didn't return punts the year before and then last year only a couple but brought one to the house he had a 60 and an 82 yard kick return so he averaged 25.8 but golden golden was a guy for his careers at 31.9 yards per kick return and last season was at 35.7 so you're talking about each area now you had also bond uh had a 34 yard punt return last two seasons ago just one the year before but averaging over 17 but if you're talking about adding golden and bond in there with maybe some guys that you like on the roster that could really fill a quick hole and that's exactly why like the portal these type of depth picks are so perfect that they provide great depth at a receiver but also on special teams yeah yeah golden didn't have that many right but he had two touchdowns with only nine i believe only nine kick returns if i'm not mistaken yeah, like he did. He did. He yeah, nine, nine for three hundred twenty-one yards, thirty-five point seven. Yeah, 35. 7 yeah. And two, and TDs. two Yeah, he was. That, he's he's better than Kenny Robinson as a kickoff returner, and yeah. that's uh, Kenny Robinson was one of the best in the country. But he's better. They got an upgraded kickoff returner. I don't know if you can say it's an upgraded punt returner because Xavier Worthy was one of, if not the best punt returner in the country. You could make that argument. He was really, really yep. good. Um and. Yeah, I, I do know that Silas Bolden can do it. Uh, he hadn't done it, but you know, Xavier Worthy hadn't returned a punt before he came to Texas and ended up being be- one of the best punt returns in the country. So they identify certain traits in players, yeah. um, and I think they believe – because I think there was a tweet from Jeff Banks was speed, 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 times three, real return game coming soon. I mean, he's basically saying that they, they didn't have speed last year because – Man, you had Xavier Worthy and Keelan Robinson. So he's even implying they're going to be faster, which yeah. goes back to my take about this team is going to be faster potentially than they were last year. And last year they had two of the fastest players in college football, and they're losing two of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, and Matthew Golden, his touchdowns came in the Big 12 against TCU in West Virginia. So it wasn't against some directional school nobody, you know. He didn't, yep. he didn't do it against Texas Southern or Prairie View. My apologies. <laughs> My apologies to all the SWAT grads listening. You're also quoting some H Town rap right there. Uh, but man, <laughs> you talk you talk about adding uh, depth, guys. Man, the the latest pickup with Tio Ali'i Salvea at, at defensive line. Man, you 
you were in a world of hurt if if Alfred Collins didn't come back and with the way the 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 Dontre Robinson thing shook out, man, you would have been in a world of hurt. But as it stands, you get Collins and Broughton back and Salvea, I, I, he doesn't need to be a world beater. If he could just give you, you know, basically if he can be kind of a slight upgrade from what Trill Carter was, that's probably that's all I'm expecting from him. I'm not expecting him to be, you know, a frontline type guy, but at least it gives you Rod, I like having a veteran buffer there before you can look at Sadir Mitchell and say, yeah, we need you to come in and play, you know, 30 some odd snaps a game. Like you can kind of ease him into it. You don't need to throw him in there. You can still be a little more specialized with how you use Jare Bledsoe. Uh, and then you don't, you know, you don't really need, you're going to need them, but like that, the, you know, Zach Swanson and Aaron Bryant, uh, you know, maybe their roles, if they're not up to the challenge, if they don't rise to the occasion this spring, okay, well, now that you've got this portal edition, maybe, maybe their roles don't need to be that big. So I, I, for a lot of reasons, man, they just, they needed a veteran body there in the goblin. Yeah. I mean, they, they need more too, right? I, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the next transfer portal window or whatever signing day, whatever it is, they try to get another uh, body in there. Uh, Cause not only, you know, two years ago, you had the deepest detail room in the country, Last season, you had the best D tackle room in the country, and 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 this Sark even admitted you had the best D tackle D line coach in the country, and you lost all of that in a two year span, and you don't have a D line coach just yet while we're recording this show. But yeah, you need veteran bodies. I mean, he's only got four starts, I believe, in his career, mm-hmm. but he's a guy that was heavy in the rotation for Arizona, so he got a lot of reps, and that's what you need right now. So at least now you got Collins, Broughton and Savea, who you know have played a, a lot of college football. And yeah. that's what you need. The rest of those guys are unproven commodities. You don't know what you're going to get from them. And, you know, what, what in terms of their development, you know, you had a proven commodity there too with Bo Davis and his development record. You don't have that right now either. So, yeah, a lot of – that's probably the biggest – crazy. That's the biggest question mark on the team yeah. right now. And it went from being the biggest strength on the team the last two years. Yeah, and okay. that's one where – Two years ago, though, I remember us sitting there wondering, you know, how would this D-line look? And then when we saw their ability to platoon these guys, and then we started to see some development from some of the players to maybe exceed expectations, it gave me the confidence headed into this year that they'd be good, and you knew you had some dogs there too. But at least the way the last two seasons have went for Texas at the D-line, it's one where even though there isn't some – with the way that they've been able to get production out of situation, I add confidence still, even if the players haven't necessarily proven it. My hope is that defensive tackle interior defensive line is the new running back. Cause remember like this was the same thing going from 22 to 23, where we're like, man, running back was without question, the strength of your team in 22 and going into 23, it was the biggest question mark because we had indicators that Jonathan Brooks could be a productive player, but we didn't know for sure if he could handle being a workhorse back. You know, he had CJ Baxter as a true freshman. We didn't hardly see Jaden Blue the year before. So, like, what was that running back group going to look like? And you know what? By the end of the year, we're feeling a lot better about running back at the at the end of the year than we were at the beginning of the year. I really hope that's the case with defensive line. the The big thing that concerns me is, you know, your defensive line coach, whoever it is. You hope they've got a track record of developing guys because you're. I hate to put it all on one guy, 
But Alfred Collins is at the point in his career, especially since it's his last year, we can't be talking about Alfred Collins in terms of hypotheticals anymore. I mean, it's 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 now or never. I mean, either we're going to see the guy that we've thought for four four years now that we might see, or that could be the reason why this defense doesn't hit its ceiling is because Alfred Collins doesn't develop into like a frontline all-conference type player. Uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, it'd be great if he'd have a breakout year, but uh, I think we've seen – we saw more consistency from Alfred Collins. Uh, the, I guess what we had under Bo Davis was that that was a – that seemed to be a pattern of breakout seasons for guys, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, guys who were underachieving, and then they had a breakout year. It happened to Cole Bryant and Ojimo. Uh, then last year we saw Byron Murphy and Tronji Sweat have those breakout campaigns. And I think the thought was, oh, under Bo Davis, Alfred Collins, it's next. And I think that's why Alfred Collins came back. Um, you know, so will that happen under the next D-line coach? Uh, will Alfred Collins take it upon himself to say, I don't give a damn who the D-line coach is. Yeah. I'm having my campaign this year. It's it. It's me. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. be the guy that they talk about. I'll be the leader on this D-line. And he's got all the raw measures. I mean, listen, Alfred Collins is going to go, go, go play in the NFL regardless of whether he has a breakout campaign or not. Because if you look at him, he's yeah. – one of the most physically gifted D linemen that Texas has recruited held. I don't know since maybe Colin Simmons is in that category now, but I don't know if they recruited a D lineman that's as physically gifted as Alfred Collins with all the all the raw materials. Um, it just hasn't all come together for him. If, if this year it does, I mean, that dude's going to be – I mean, he's going to be a problem, and he's going to be a guy that's on a lot of draft board, high up on a lot of draft yeah. boards. Yeah. For sure, yeah. and – when you look at just where Alfred Collins, like hit the way that he was able to line up everywhere on the line. If you look at uh, last year, Myron Murphy had five snaps outside and then it looks like Tavondre Sweat had eight, but you have Collins. He was 46 out wide all the way to 14 at a gap. So you're talking about lining up at least 14 plus snaps at every single position across the board, which is head and shoulders above any of the players on the Texas roster. And that was the one thing that stood out to me about Savea, because when you look at Savea, he actually lined up at a gap 16 times and then outside 31 times. So out of all the guys on Arizona, he was the only one that had at least six snaps across the board. So talking about a guy that can be interchangeable across all four spots, if we're talking a gap, B gap over the tackle or outside the tackle. And if you have two guys like that, you can really change things based on matchups and who you're facing. And another thing that really stood out was his lack of missing tackles. Now he had 5.3% missed tackle percentage of the Texas D linemen and Texas had really good D linemen. Sweats was the best at 8.3%. Murphy was up at 18.5%. Trill Carter was at 10 Vernon Broughton, 11, Alfred Collins up at 22. So talking about a guy that has malleability and can be interchangeable and you have your most interchangeable piece returning. And this guy seems to be very reliable that if he's around a body, he takes him down to the ground 95% of the time. You know, Rod, the two, the two guys that I would group with, do you have something, Rod? My bad. No, I was saying good stuff. I saw many of the stuff. Um, The the two guys that I would group, because you talked about, you know, Alfred Collins, just how physically gifted he is. You know, in my time covering recruiting and covering this program, the two guys that I would put in the group with Alfred Collins, just in terms of looking at them in high school and saying, man, if this guy doesn't screw something up in the next three or four years, he's going to be playing on Sunday. There's no question about it. 
Collins is in that group with with Malcolm Brown and Jordan Elliott. Those are the other two guys Texas has signed. Where I was like, dude, if these guys don't mess it up, they're they're gonna be they're gonna be NFL players. And Jordan Elliott yep. transferred out, but he was a third round pick, and Malcolm yep. Brown was a first rounder. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes if you said, "Hey, you just don't screw it up, man." God gave you damn. He gave you damn near everything you need. Yeah. It just don't screw it up. And Alvin Collins is there. Like I say he's an NFL player, but he he. <laughs> He hasn't proved. He hasn't decided yet that he wants to dominate on every down that he's out there. Yeah. And when he decides that, whether it's in the league or whether it's next season, God help who's a, who's across from him. Yeah, his tools. I've heard you say the name before, Rudd, and I've said it since we first started talking about him when I first heard about him. But like he's a Chris Jones starter kid. Just if you look yeah. at his body and his skill set and his speed and short space quickness and everything that's involved. It's just a starter kit, though. The rest is a lot of work that you can do. Exactly. You know who he reminds me of, Rod? Who Alfred Collins kind of reminds me of? Kind of reminds me of Frank Ocam. Oh. Frank Ocam, granted, very different body types. But Frank Ocam was one of those guys, and when he set foot on campus, was one of those guys like, dude, this dude's going to be three and out, or, you know, he's going to be a high draft pick whenever he leaves. But you look at Frank Ocam's numbers, and, you know, as a senior, he was eight tackles were lost, five sacks. I mean, Franco, Franco Camp should have been higher than a fifth round pick, you know, and he's, he stuck around yeah. in the league for a while, but because yeah, yeah. some, somebody was going to give him a chance just because, I mean, look at the guy. And when he flashes, man, did he flash, it, you know, was it, it was some of the most impressive stuff you've seen. You just didn't get that consistently. And, and, and as much as I, you know, as much as people like him and, and he's a good dude and I've never heard anybody say a bad word about him. I just didn't feel like Frank Okan was dominant, consistently dominant at Texas, like the talent level suggests that he probably should be. That's kind of where I see Alfred Collins right now. To me, he's he's Frank Okan. Because to your point, he somebody on, on day three of the draft is going to give him a shot. Oh, no question. Just, just based on the measurables alone. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just on the measurables alone, he'll get a shot. But can he actually, you know, uh, reach his – his ceiling as a player, that's a different discussion. Again, I think that's what you're talking about with Frank Okam. Who, by yeah. the way, maybe he's in the running to be D-line coach. He's at Toledo now. As a yep. Could be. Yeah, Could be. I was going to bring that up because he was with the Raiders in 2022 and with the Panthers. He was D-line coach at the Panthers in 2021 and Raiders in 2022. So he's done it already at the NFL level, and he's back in college. Yep. Yeah, I mean uh... – yeah, that, that's all I was gonna say. It's like Frank Frank Oken was second team All Big Twelve twice. Like he just, I, I don't know. Not that he had a bad career. I mean, he played five years in the league, but I just felt like man, there was just there was something there that. And I look, Rod, you you were on campus when he was. I, Mike Tollison was a really good defensive tackles coach, it, it, so I know Tolly got got some stuff out of out of Frank, but I just felt like there was there's more meat on the bone. There was some meat left on the bone by the time he left. Um, that's a good point. That's a good point. Before we go, yep, Rod, Ocam, go ahead. Man. Uh, I was just uh, just one tiny nugget. This year, Toledo, Toledo, in the country in sacks and top fifteen in the NCAA in sacks per game, and he was still. I think they were a top thirty overall defense. So he he had some good, at least results his first year as a D line coach. Somebody sooner. So there's going to be some power five school at some point that gives Jason Candle at Toledo a job. He's done a really good job there. At some point, he's going to get a power five job. What are we calling it now? Is it the power four now? Are we down to power four? 
or just power conference. I think you're right. It's definitely Soon. four now. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be power four because what? They only have like two or three teams left. We might as well just call them like AFC Junior and NFC Junior because that's what we're going to with the Big Ten and the SEC anyway. So, uh, well, now we need to just get rid of the ACC because they're a fraud conference too, and we can like somehow it'd be cool if we had four badass conferences and you could just have a Final Four yeah. already decided each year, but that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, but with the big the new Big Twelve and the ACC, you got two basketball leagues that are trying really hard to make themselves relevant in football. So. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but Rod, I want to get your take on this. We haven't, I don't think we talked about it, but Jade Barron coming back. Uh I didn't hear a whole lot on Jade Barron until probably about 48 hours before he made the call that it was starting to look like maybe he was coming back. Um you bring in Andrew McCuba. Derek Williams is a year older. You got Jade Barron back at star. Say the safety group, the the middle of that defense should be at least in terms of the back end should be upgraded from where it was last year. Yes, it should. Um, especially I know they're still recruiting uh, Jabbar Muhammad. Yep, via the transfer portal, who is I think he might be the number one defensive player right now in the transfer portal. I'm saying definitely the number one defensive back. But if they get him, man, they, that that's going to be one of the better secondaries in the country. That's mm-hmm. crazy to say that because last year they was such a liability at times, but if they get him, who's a, you know, an all-conference defender with Makuba, an all-conference defender, Jade Barron as an all-conference caliber defender, uh, yeah, I think you you start at a really good place. Um, and also, you know, if they don't get him, but if they don't get him, I think if you if you assume that you'll get improvement on the outside with Terrence Brooks, with Malik Muhammad, if uh, you assume Derek Williams will take that leap, which I think he will, he's a, a really nice young player, yeah. and yeah. you got some guys who are stable up the back end. I mean, Michael Taft, what, what do you think of him? But Jade Barron, he's got to lead the way. I think the the buzzword would be versatility with that group. Yeah. Um, I would try. I mean, that's and by the way, that's the buzzword for Sark. I, I'm not just taking that for myself. I think Sark's been using that, that word a lot lately, describing his secondary. I think that's what they want to become. Um, I think they, they realize some of the rigidity of their uh, rules of their defense and the alignment of their – uh, defenders, it, it may be giving away a lot of tales, a lot of indicators mm-hmm. to opposing teams about what the uh, line, what the rules of their defense are based on the alignment of the defense, what their assignment is going to be. I think they want to get out of it. I think they want to get to the point where, where you cannot formationally, uh, based on just a, a certain concept or a certain schematic uh, advantage or principle, that you can get Texas out of position. Texas. They were teams were doing that a lot with three by one sets and formation of boundary. I think Texas basically wants to be able schematically to put themselves in a position where they can, if they're ma- they can match up one on one with anybody athletically. Teams were getting Texas uh, misaligned, and teams were able to uh, get Texas in a matchup disadvantage just by sheer formation. Um, yeah. and, and there are times where PK's defense is really could be too rigid, where you know nickel doesn't travel. Uh, um, you know, safety has to align a certain way with versus on this formation. And I think they want to get away from that. I think they want to get to the point where they're really malleable and their defense doesn't give away a lot of what they're doing because their defenders are almost interchangeable, especially in the central nervous system of the defense. Mm-hmm. I think that's why they want more malleable DBs, more versatile DBs. Makuba, you know, Jade Barron is that. They should cross-train them. They should throw that out there. And this whole recruiting class, the entire recruiting class is basically – 
versatility and speed. Yeah. Yep, and having that malleability is just so key because, like, not only, say, this year, you know, with the specific rules and having, you know, bunches and different things that could be, like, hacks that the offenses are using against you. We saw two years ago whenever it was sort of route combinations where Texas sort of running through multiple levels would affect them and or it would cause confusion in the zones and stuff like that where now if you can get to the place where you, like you said, Rod, have the athletes that you're confident in, in those man scenarios, then you can be the one disguising things and changing things or on one side running something that's different than the other. If you, like you said, point out the nickel not traveling, that's so big because if you understand where one guy is always going to be, the offense can sort of build around that. So having guys like the way that you saw the production where this year in versus man and zone, you know, Terrence Brooks was elite. Like he was – 50 NFL passer rating allowed in man coverage. It was under 80 whenever he was in zone. Derek Williams was the same way. Man coverage was under 75. When he was in zone, it was 66. Like, that's elite. You look at Jade Barron, we all know. I mean, it's basically as bad of an NFL passer rating as you can get. A 39.6 when targeting receivers in man against Barron. And that's after the Washington game. In zone, it was 96.9. That's uh, still like under 100 of the college levels respectable. But you look across the board when you have guys that are able to do both things, then like you can change on the fly or have things that can mask and show and change before the snap comes or based on what motion comes around. And just having that to where the defense doesn't necessarily know and you have a guy that you feel comfortable in both scenarios, it's so big because there have been times when Texas had guys with certain splits where they would just had a clear weak spot and you could get that weak spot attacked. You know, Rod, it always it always cracks me up when uh, I know Texas fans like in the heat of the moment. Like, if you ever want to experience something, just kind of see Texas fans off kilter. Like, get in one of our game game day threads on the site, and just people just lose their minds. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a cra- it's a roller coaster. But inevitably, when the defense gives up something, I'll see like, why do we play zone? We suck at zone. I'm like. You can't just play one coverage against these offenses. Like eventually they're going to figure that out. You may suck at zone, but you got to run some, you know, cover three or something every now and then just to just to throw them off the scent. I mean, unless you could play man all game, but unless you've got like the the 2011 LSU secondary or the you know the 2005 Texas secondary, you, you mean you're going to give up something and probably a lot at some point. So you got to you got to mix it up. But in that vein, Rod, like. This is what kind of one of these football things that's always kind of confused me. Like, I don't like what you do on one side of the ball. I don't know why you wouldn't reciprocate on the other side. You know, if you're, if your theory on, on offense is I'm going to attack with positionless wide receivers where you, you know, I can line these guys up slot wide motion, whatever, doesn't matter. They're positionless. I can do it. Wouldn't it make sense then to make sure your secondary is positionless? And guys just don't get pigeonholed into doing one thing. Yeah, no. If you if you have the if you have the the, the luxury of being able to do that, right? And Texas does. Yeah. Jalen Ramsey, please. And yeah, I think they they want to go that route. And you have to have the counter. That's the problem. You know, Texas. When you do that offensively, you can you can dictate the tempo. Mm-hmm. If you just want to be positionless, you can dictate the tempo, and the defense has to react to you. If you do that um, defensively, you can. 
because it helps with disguise and it helps you uh, be able to, I think, be it gives you more solutions to solve problems that the offense mm -hmm. is going to present to you mm -hmm. being malleable. But you also leave yourself open to the counter, which is look at Dan Quinn's defense, right? Built on positionless football, uh, built on hybrid defenders. And when you run a run downhill on them, that's what they're susceptible to. Yeah. Uh, the, the Cowboys know this. They drafted the linebacker the ball. We know it was shown. Leighton Van Der got hurt. So did Demo. They drafted Mozzie Smith, an interior nose tackle, because they know that's the weak point of their defense. They know what yeah. the holes in their yeah. roster are. It didn't work out for them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you have to know that. And for Texas, if you're going to build your defense that way, that's where your holes are going to be. You're going to be susceptible to power running game. That's why they got the kid Blackshear from uh, Alabama. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why that defensive tackle position is a big concern if you're going the route of more versatile, positionless back seven. Yeah. Great. I think it, it will help you defend the spread offenses, the RPO-based offenses, but it's going to leave you susceptible to when a team wants, wants to run power right down your damn throat. Right. And mm -hmm. that you bet you better be ready for the counter. Because the yeah. counter will come and yep. you know, Michigan, Mich not the counter, but the counter too, literally, but figuratively the counter of the <laughs> changeup will be power of football right at you. Mm, yeah, it just sucks that in a year where you're better positioned to do that on the back end, you know, it, if you had the coverage pieces, the secondary pieces that Texas will have at 24, and, you know, you put Byron Murphy into Vondre Sweat at defensive yeah. tackle. That's a national yeah. championship defense. You're probably winning yeah. the national title with that defense. You're top 10 defense. Yeah, yeah probably. Without question. Go having ahead, those man. defenders oh, – sorry, man. But, yeah, having those defenders on the back end that they can tie in, it's like it's just so rare to be able to have DBs that can line up everywhere. You know, like there's the Jalen Ramsey's in the NFL, but, like, if you have a guy in college, that's, like, the rarest thing you can find. Because, like, even we were hearing people in the NFL playoffs talking about it with uh, the Texans, and it was like, oh, Stingley shadowed Cooper. She shadowed Cooper. It's like, no, he didn't. He never traveled into the slot. Like, Derek Stingley Jr. is one of the best – corners in all the league he had 811 snaps last season two were in the slot none of them against cooper so then it was like last week oh is he gonna travel inside is he gonna be able to shut down zay flowers or whatever and it was like no he doesn't tra travel inside it's like very very rare to have a cornerback bump it down inside because then you have to have whoever was at your nickel bump back outside and like it's just those varying skill sets are so hard to have that if you can get a guy that can be that malleable that's like the ultimate the true queen chess piece on a defense right it's the nfl offseason but on pick six part of the cbs sports podcast network the football season never stops host will brinson john breach and tyler sullivan are joined by analysts like brady quinn leslie Ducible, katie mox and rj white to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league whether it's free agents signing with new teams the all-important nfl draft or schedule release day pick six has you covered as the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. All right. Well, that's uh, I'd love to keep the conversation going, but I think that's a good point to stop, and we'll pick it back up next week. So let's go ahead and, uh, and end this thing. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports, the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network, and the Horns 24-7 Podcast Feed, where you can get Longhorn Blitz each and every week. Just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Anywhere you get your podcasts, click that follow button to get every episode of the Blitz when it drops. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode.